Remember when? <laughs> wow, a lot of good conversations have that as their starting point, don't they? And I guess some not-so-good conversations begin that way, too. Remember when? Because our past is an important part of us. After all, it is our past, and we can't help but talk about it. According to one estimate, at least 40% of our conversational time is spent telling stories about past events. They call this retrospective bias in our conversational behavior because, uh, I mean, we all do it. We all talk about the past, and especially our personal past, a lot. Well, on this edition of the Discover the Word podcast, Bill Crowder is going to help the group take a look at a psalm that is part of the collection of psalms in the Bible's Old Testament, and in a lot of ways, it falls into this category of remember when. We want to spend our time in these conversations looking at a psalm where we see an event that happened when David was young, and he reflects on it later in life when he's old. Yeah, we're calling it a song of mature reflection. And so pull a chair up with the group for a study of Psalm 18 on Discover the Word. And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And over the course of the next hour, four of the regular members of this Bible study group are going to be studying Psalm 18 together. Bill Crowder will be guiding the conversation with Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry through this psalm that Bill has labeled a song of mature reflection. Now, we've paired this discussion with our previous podcast, which was about another psalm that used images of a child to help us think about our trust in God. We called that one a song of childlike faith. Well, now we turn the coin over to look at faith from another perspective in the Psalms. And this time, it's not from a childlike place, but from a more mature place, interpreting things in a reflective adult way. I think it'll provide a helpful balance. But you know, sometimes there can be a tension that exists between generations, and uh, that's where this conversation begins. We seem to live in a culture that's obsessed with youth hmm. and youthfulness and the young. And, and I say that as an old guy who may be a little bit bitter about it. But I mean, <laughs> what about that obsession with youth is good? And what about it's not so good? Because I think it probably is both. Oh, I'm just kind of into my grandkids, so I don't know. I mean, I'm really happy being old. I mean, honestly, I am. And grandkids are one of the reasons why. But another reason why is I feel like I have more permission to say what I really think when I'm a little bit older. So I hear what you're saying about the obsession with youth. But personally, I kind of like being old. I like innovation and new ideas that come from mm -hmm. youthful perspectives. Like, for example, the ability to work technological devices and know mm -hmm. how to get notifications off my phone. Like, I just talked to my daughter, like, hey, mm -hmm. help me fix this. Yeah, and, yeah back uh, to my grandchildren. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's who helps me. And yeah. so there's a certain embrace of new technology or new ways of thinking mm -hmm. that I think mm -hmm. is a valuable thing That's mm -hmm. good. about our respect for youthfulness that in certain cultures they're just like, you're supposed to be seen and not heard, so yeah. mm -hmm. stay out of this. Yeah. I think I would have to ask the question first, what do you mean by celebrating youth? Immaturity, age, like there's lots of ways you could define what youth is. Well, so. yeah, mm -hmm. and I think that uh, when you look at the larger culture, you see a lot of creativity 
coming from younger adults. You see a lot of different thinking about mm-hmm. issues from younger people. I think those are some of the things we can celebrate. I think sometimes there can be an unwillingness to really learn from the past, but to just kind of ignore it. Oh, that's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's some good and some bad. Yeah, and the reason I'm asking is because I think there's some ways in which we uh, celebrate youthfulness in the way people look, for sure, mm-hmm. like on shows or movies or magazine covers or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I also see, though, quite a bit of not losing track of where wisdom comes from mm-hmm. as well. Having those people that you can go to and ask advice of. So I don't know, maybe a little bit of both and. Yeah. And I think that one of the values of being human is that we get to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither side has all the answers. Yeah. Some of the answers of the young, which Russell and Daniel are younger than Elisa and I, Mm -hmm. some of the values of the young is that you can bring fresh perspectives Mm -hmm. where maybe we can be stuck in the past in our thinking. By the same time, we can bring the wisdom, hopefully, of experience and years lived and things like that that can bring a different kind of value to a conversation. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. That was one of the things that I think that is not valued or appreciated enough is... The fact that, you know, leaning on the perspective of those who've been there, done that, seen that Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. is really meaningful. And so that's something that can be lost when age and wisdom and being older is not valued enough in the culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you see it a lot in churches and institutions, in um, nonprofits, you know, whatever, where history passes on and people forget And then you kind of do the whole thing all over again because you think we've never been here before. So we need to start out and you kind of forget, yeah, well, the whole organization or the whole church or even the family has been here before. Yeah. 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 The other two things I'm thinking of as we're talking about youth and youthfulness is when you run into one of those kids where they'll say something like they have an old soul. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've heard that term yeah. before, yeah. right? Uh-huh. But like sure. the idea of a kid that is like way beyond their years in maturity yeah. or a teenager or whatever. And so I think maybe in that way, we sometimes value an older, wiser perspective, mm-hmm. even though it's coming from someone who's younger. Mm-hmm. And then I guess where my generation sometimes gets caught up is in the desire to not grow up yet. The term adulting is kind of a funny term that is like trying to figure out what Mm -hmm. it means to be an adult, but also push off some of the adult things for as long as you can. Well, as we talk about both sides of this equation, we want to spend our time in these conversations looking at a psalm. We see an event that happened when David was young, and he reflects on it later in life when he's old. Mm. We're talking about Psalm 18. Daniel, I want you to start us off by reading the superscription of this, if you would, and that'll set the the chronology of the events that triggered this. Yeah, and we're often used to a few words like a prayer of David or something like this one. Uh, This is going to take a second (laughs) because it's longer. To the leader, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, and then the psalm begins. Okay, so on the day that the Lord delivered him from Saul. Now, at that point in time, David was probably maybe 30-ish, 30-something, so much younger. What's interesting is in 2 Samuel 22, we find almost a carbon copy of this psalm. Hmm. And by that time, David's nearing the end of his life. Hmm. 
And so it's almost as if, yeah, he's writing about this stuff that happened when he was a young man, but he's writing about it when he's an old man. Hmm. And so there's some reflection taking place here as he looks back on it. And that's going to be important, especially in some of our other conversations, because we're going to see some things that David says where he say, wait a minute, what's he talking about? That's not what happened. But as he reflects on it, there's a reason why he reflects on it that way with some years behind him of thinking about it. So it's kind of an interesting tension mm-hmm. between the young man and the, shall we say, more experienced man. Yeah. How would that be? So, Elisa, would you read verses 1 through 3? And Daniel ended the superscription by saying, and he said, okay. and this is what he said. All right, and these are David's words here. Okay. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I've been saved from my enemies. Hmm. That's quite a beginning. Um, And it's only when you get to the last part that it connects to the history. Mm -hmm. But what I want you to think about is all of those metaphors that he uses in there. Mm -hmm. And maybe they would have been a little more accessible in an ancient culture than they are to ours because we don't think about horns and strongholds and things like that too much in our generation. But as you look at those metaphors, what could you relate them to in experience that we might have? The things that we find confidence in, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, the things that we try to protect ourselves with, Mm. a rock or a fortress would have been a place of strength, a place of protection, a Mm. place where somebody couldn't sneak in from behind. And so for us, I guess it would be those places where we try to protect ourselves or the things we put hope in or confidence in or something like that maybe. Sure. I think about my deliverer. There was a time when I was um, in the beach at Ocean City, uh, Maryland, and I kind of swam out a little bit too far Mm. and was starting to go under a little bit. My Mm. uncle you know, came in and rescued me, like yeah. just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of mm. pulled me out. And scary. that awesome. aspect mm-hmm. of like, man, I can't save myself, but I'm glad he was there to yeah. save me. That sticks out when I think of my deliverer. That's beautiful. Yeah. And there's some foreshadowing of Jesus here in these verses too. Absolutely. I mean, you know, he's talking about the Lord, of course, but, you know, I think about how Jesus speaks of himself. You know, he does bring salvation. Mm-hmm. And, and this verse too, you know, it's kind of repeats those concepts. It's like he says it one time and then he explains it the next time, my shield of the horn of my salvation. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Let me hit you with two big ideas out of these opening verses to kind of mull over and let's see if they revisit us later in the psalm because this is a really long psalm i mean there's only three psalms longer than this one Mm. so we're just kind of the needle drop our way through it we're not going to be able to look at all of this but i want us to keep two ideas in the back of our minds one is unlike a lot of david's songs this is a love song Mm. what's the very first phrase that you read i love you lord i mean there's so much wonder and beauty and freedom in that. I love you, Lord. And he just starts with that. It's a love song to the Lord who is all these things. But the reason it's a love song to the Lord who is all these things is not because God is a rock and a fortress and a deliverer. He is my rock. Mm. He is my fortress. Mm -hmm. He is my deliverer. The old hymn had the chorus, I am his and he is mine. Mm. He is holding me 
and I'm holding on to him. Mm. <laughs> There's a mutuality in the relationship where David identifies all of these factors, not just as realities, but as realities that are his mm. because he's in relationship with his God. And as we go through Psalm 18, I want us to hear and listen for those kinds of moments that would relate to, that's why David loves him so much. Mm-hmm. And this is what David sees as, this is mine because he is my God. So let's look for that as we examine this psalm together. Are you familiar with the, I think it is safe to call it a cliche, that might be the wrong term, but the expression, desperate times call for desperate measures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Where does it come from, though? I'm not sure I know. Actually, it comes from Hippocrates oh, in its okay. original form, the one who invented the Hippocratic Oath that doctors take and wow. stuff like that. Because what he said was, for extreme diseases, extreme methods of cure are most suitable. Mm-hmm. And that kind of became the oh. the ground out of which desperate times called so for measures. So this was measures. coined into yeah. that. Okay. So hmm. it's really an old kind of idea, but it's also a very relevant idea. Yeah. <laughs> desperate times call for desperate measures. Hmm. Putting it in that context with Hippocrates and the Hippocratic Oath, mm. I think about my nephew who's mm-hmm. going through chemo and radiation as an eight-year-old and talk about extreme methods of cure, yeah. right? Like we're taking things that we know are bad for the body yeah. and we're intentionally using those to bring good to the body. Yeah. So That's what an example of desperate yeah. measures, right? Yeah. Mm. We started in our first conversation looking at this Psalm of David, Psalm 18, where as an older man, he is reflecting on something that happened to him as a younger man. What was he talking about with that? Being rescued from Saul, who was the king that, you know, because of jealousy, because of just his, you know, animosity toward David, was hunting him down all over the country. And finally, uh, God delivered, you know, David from that. Yeah, for for years and years and years, David was living in caves and Mm -hmm. sometimes in Philistine territory, their great enemy. Acting like he was crazy. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. The introductory words to the psalm, they do point out that he's from the hand of Saul, but he also says from all my enemies. And Mm. that's descriptive too. Yeah, so as he reflects on those desperate times in this song, which we saw in our first conversation, is actually a love song because it begins with those wonderful words, I love you, Lord. But in verses four and five, we begin to see just how desperate the times were. Rasul, would you read verses four and five for sure. us? The cords of death encompassed me, and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me, the snares of death confronted me. Man. In three out of the four things that he describes, you're talking about something that is binding. Mm-hmm. You know, cords of death, cords of Sheol. And then he talks about snares, the yeah. snares of death. You picture like ropes to, or snakes going around him and holding yeah. him in place. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- I think this qualifies as desperate times. Mm. And when he talks about the torrents of ungodliness, what might that be suggesting? Well, it seems like some kind of reference to a river or some kind of flowing water and get maybe caught up in that. And I guess the torrent of that would be serving other gods, maybe in their culture, ungodliness, Mm -hmm. or maybe the injustice that they're causing toward other people or something where 
they are not representing who God is. Mm. What if it's just sin? I mean, David bumped into sin quite a bit, too, if you think about it. You know, his temptations with Bathsheba, with mm. killing Uriah, and, you know, yeah. whatever. It's just being sucked under, mm-hmm. and that's to be pulled under the torrents of yeah. ungodliness. Yeah. Wow. I think of specifically this scenario with Doeg the Edomite, who when David went to hide, mm-hmm. you know, with the priest, and... um you know, happened to be there and see him. And then David leaves and then finds out Doeg killed the entire mm. lineage, mm-hmm. oh, just about, of this priest. And I mean, to see the implications of that and have yeah. to sit with that yeah. of all the death that was surrounding you yeah. at every turn. That's good. Yeah. You know, there's a reason why when later in life, David wanted to build a temple for God, God said, no, you'll not build a temple because you're a bloody man. Mm. And we see these years of being pursued, these years of conflict, these years of warfare, these years of bloody consequences, like in the situation you're describing, where choices he makes brings destruction on other Mm -hmm. people. I mean, to have all that stuff kind of swimming around in your conscience Mm. has got to be a pretty rough go. And as he reflects, again, he's now an older man reflecting on these events of Mm -hmm. his younger time. He describes it in this, I think, brilliant poetry. Mm -hmm. But it's also very oppressive. And when I think about the cords of death, I mean, how many times was David in the cords of death? I actually picture the scene in Lord of the Rings where Frodo falls into the marsh and all of the dead are grabbing Frodo mm. and pulling yeah. him down. Mm-hmm. Oh. And he's rescued by Gollum. But you have this scene of him being like pulled into the underworld, pulled mm. into death mm. against his will, mm. against his desire. Yeah, there's almost this sense of this inescapable nature of evil, this inescapable nature of danger, mm-hmm. where it seems like no matter which way he turns, There's something he's facing that's too big for him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in the midst of those desperate times, he does take some desperate measures, sometimes of his own volition, like when he did pretend that he was insane to try to get away. Mm -hmm. As he faced all those different kinds of things, in this case, as he reflects on it, what's the desperate measure that he takes in verse 6, Elisa? In distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. I mean, he just screams out. It's so graphic because, as you said, Bill, he starts out, I love you, Lord, my strength. And then he expresses how God has provided for him. And then he hearkens back to, in my distress, Mm -hmm. I called, I cried to my God. Yeah. What else was he going to do, right? (laughs) Like if verses four and five are adequately describing what he's going through, what other option did he have? But I do think, you know, uh, Daniel, that there were other options technically available to him. Like anyone I think of Saul, when he was experiencing difficulty in circumstances, he tended to look to other people. Hmm. Other people throughout other kings of Israel looked to other nations to rescue Hmm. them, some to even other gods. David here says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. And I think that that's a really specific response that really set him apart in terms of how he thought about where do I even go when I'm in crisis? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what that reminds me of is this situation in the cave where he had the chance to kill Saul himself. Right. But chooses not to and trust that God will deliver him in some way instead. I think that's one of the unique pieces of David is that his heart is inclined toward God. And so he didn't take some of those opportunities to slay Saul, for example, and save 
himself, if you will. He straddled the suffering and the righteousness. He straddled those. And he made a lot of mistakes, yep. as you're pointing of out. Course. And he was a bloody man, as you're pointing out. But I think we see his the, the real dualism within mm. him, the real struggle within yeah. him here. And I really like the way y'all are unpacking this because there's a sense in which there are options on the table. One option mm-hmm. would be to go to other countries mm-hmm. or to look outside for help from somebody else. When have we not looked for other people to solve our problems for us? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's very relevant. Like you said, Daniel, there were times when he could have said, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. God's told me I'm going to be king. Easiest way to become king is kill the king. He's mm-hmm. right there. Right. And I've been anointed, so yeah. let's get on with it. Let's go forward. Yeah. You know, it's time to move on. But he neither looks to other people. This is that straddling you're talking about, Elisa. He neither looks to other people to be the solution to his problems or to his own reckoning of the situation to solve the problem, but rather, in my distress, and I think that's such a great mm-hmm. phrase, in my distress, mm-hmm. I called upon the Lord. Right in mm-hmm. it, yeah. And maybe that's why some of the stories like you're mentioning, Elisa, those are so stark and stand out so much in his mm-hmm. story because he was capable of so much evil mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And it was in those times that he did take matters wow. into his own hands mm-hmm. that he did horrible things mm-hmm. instead of trusting in God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we listen to David's songs, you hear the entire gamut of human experience emotionally. And we hear times where David sings for joy out of happiness. We hear times when David sings out of rage for the injustice in the world. We hear times where David sings out of sadness over the brokenness of the world. Mm -hmm. Here, he sings out of love to the kind of God who would listen to somebody like him in his times of distress. And there's a New Testament parallel to that. In my distress, I cried to the Lord. Sounds an awful lot like Hebrews 4.16. Daniel, would you read that for us? Yeah, it says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In time of need. Sounds a lot like in my distress. Mm. <laughs> When I'm going through the cords of death, when I'm going through the torrents of ungodliness, when I feel like I'm being swamped under by just the waves of trouble and heartache and loss or whatever, in those times, I can come confidently Mm -hmm. because the one who was David's rock is also my rock. The one who is David's deliverer is also my deliverer. I can go to him in my times of distress Mm -hmm and find grace and mercy to help in time of me. Yeah, one of the moments that just showed a different type of perspective and faith uh, from David that always you know, stuck out to me was after he had sinned with Bathsheba, after he prayed for the child to live and the child was not spared. And the people are afraid because mm-hmm. they said, man, if the way that he's carrying on while you know, the child's life is in jeopardy, what is he gonna do? Now that the child is going, so he didn't even want to say anything, but he saw that they didn't want to say. So he's like, the child's dead, isn't it? And they say, yeah. And it says he cleaned himself up and worshiped. And that reflects a perspective where you go, okay, you trust God, that God sees beyond what you can see. And that is why you go to him Mm -hmm. when you are in desperation, as opposed to taking matters in your own hands. 
I'm trying to get to that level, yeah. you know, where I can yeah. even look at some tragedy that befalls me and still really hold on to the fact that there's an angle I can't see. God is still at work. I can still trust him. Yeah, that's so hard to do when you're in the moment, isn't it? In the middle of something that's really difficult. But that's what faith is. Uh, trusting in a God that we can't see and believing that in our time of need, we can trust him. Here at the table with Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry for the study of Psalm 18, this song of mature reflection. And uh, when the conversation continues, they're going to talk about connecting the dots and how mature reflection often helps us do that. That conversation starts in 60 seconds. Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And we've been studying the Bible together for years around this table. And that has allowed us to dig into a lot of passages and a lot of topics. And did you know that under the archive dropdown on our discovertheword.org website that we have hundreds of series, thousands of conversations in which you can explore the scriptures with us. For example, there's another series we did on another Psalm, Psalm 71, called The Wisdom of Years, that looks at the subjects that we're discovering in Psalm 18 from a similar but different perspective. Studies with the regular group members, guests we invited to our studies, and there are classic series that go back to when Haddon Robinson and Alice Matthews were part of the group. The Discover the Word Archive. It is a vault full of engaging conversations. Serious Bible study content available to you free of charge on our discovertheword.org website. And now let's continue to study Psalm 18, this song of mature reflection. When you were a kid, did you ever do connect the dot pictures? Yeah, I love those things. Yeah. I called them dot to dots, right? Yeah. That's what we called them back in the day. Yep. Dot to dot to the dot. The different numbers. Uh-huh. Yep. Now, did you ever connect the dots wrong and get a, a messed up picture? <laughs> oh, yes. Sure. <laughs> Definitely. Sure. Yeah. But I'd start over because <laughs> I like <laughs> achieving things. So. <laughs> you know, some of them were simple enough that you could see what was happening uh-huh. before yeah, you yeah, even yeah. did it. Kind of lose but your But then there interest. were other ones that I really liked that uh-huh. were more complex. Yeah. And then you had to be more focused on, okay, yeah. what's going yeah. on here? I still like it when we end up at a restaurant and they hand out the kids menu and there's a connect the dot picture on it. Of course you do. I usually take that from my kids and do it myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. Well, what David's going to do in the next section of Psalm 18, David's going to connect a bunch of dots and it's going to feel like he's connecting them wrong. Mm -hmm. But we're going to find out that maybe he's not connecting them wrong after all. And the reason I say it's going to feel like he's correcting them wrong is when we read these verses, we're going to have to honestly say, wait a minute, Hmm. when did that ever happen in David's story? Hmm. Come on, what's he talking about here? And I think that there's some lessons that we can learn about how to read the Old Testament. I think Mm -hmm. there's some lessons we can learn about how to read the hand of God. The whole story or description of his rescue, because if you remember in our last conversation, uh, David said, in my distress, what did he do? Calls out to the Lord, cries out to him. Cries out, pleads with the Lord. And you heard his cry. Yeah. And now what comes next is this is what he did. Hmm. So it's not just I cried and he heard, but then he acted. Hmm. Now, the whole 
description of that action is verses 7 through 19. And as we mentioned in an earlier conversation, this is like the fourth longest psalm that there is. So we can't hit all of 7 and 19, but I want us to focus in on 7 through 9, just as kind of a representative mm-hmm. portion of that. And I want you to listen to how he perceives Remember, he's an old man reflecting on an experience from when he was a young man, how he perceives God's response to his cry for help. So, Rasul, would you read uh, verse 7 and then Daniel verse 8 and then Elisa verse 9? Sure. Then the earth shook and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens also, and came down with thick darkness under his feet. Okay, so as something of a literalist... (laughs) (laughs) You shouldn't be. (laughs) I'm sitting here thinking, Mm. okay, now when was the moment that David was running from Saul, and God started spitting fire and but this is poetry right so does it have to be literal well it could be metaphorical it could be metaphorical but are there ever times when god literally does stuff like this Uh, i think about the moses at the you know mount sinai with yeah and the covenant um there was literally earthquakes and Mm -hmm. smoke and volcanic so yeah he has done that before yeah yeah so the answer to your question daniel is does it have to be literal? Well, it doesn't have to be literal, but is it possible for it to be literal? Apparently, because <laughs> the, the, a lot of that same stuff happened at Sinai. We've talked about the miracles that took place at the cross. What are some of these things that happened at the cross? Well, for sure, darkness and the mm-hmm. earth shook and quaked. And I actually, besides the cross, I was thinking about Elijah on Mount Carmel. When, yeah. you know, so, so there are illustrations. Yeah. In ancient cultures, earthquakes were a big deal. It was something that they would look at as a sign of judgment or of the gods moving or something. And so this is Israel making sense of potentially earthquakes and things as well. And I can tell you as somebody who has lived through several earthquakes, Mm. that earthquakes are a big deal in our culture. We just (laughs) don't view them with the same spiritual ramifications that they did in ancient cultures. I think this is a really interesting exercise on reading the Old Testament because we're talking about some things that, to Daniel's point, This is poetry. Poetry functions differently than narrative Mm -hmm. or law code or letters or some of the other different kinds of genre of the scriptures. However, we have to acknowledge that none of this is outside the realm of the way God is described from time to time Mm -hmm. in the Bible. So where do we find the balance in there and how do we understand what it is that David is trying to communicate. And to that point, is he connecting the dots correctly? So what do you think about all that? I think where he started this psalm was he was in distress and needed help and cried out. And regardless of what this section is describing, it's definitely describing something beyond his control and where he needs help. Yeah, I think about the, uh, again, on the poetic side and the non-literal side, Smoke went up from his nostrils. Thick darkness was under his feet. So there's some anthropomorphism here that, mm-hmm. you know, clearly isn't meant to be taken literally. But at the same time, what I think he's really drawing out, especially 
and were shaken because he was angry. In verse seven, there's this sense of he's dramatizing God's reaction to the injustice that Mm -hmm. he's experiencing, Mm -hmm. you know, with Saul. I mean, we saw when Saul began to go off the rails and this sense of what that means for the kingdom, what Mm -hmm. that means for God's representative. It's almost like this rousing of Mm -hmm. himself to hear David's cry, you know, for something he didn't do anything wrong and then to respond to it. Yeah. It's like, he's got my back. He's defending me. And whoa. You know, like, I don't know if you ever watch boxing or wrestling or something, but they come in with music, like the yeah. boxer with like the hood. And, the you know what I mean? and yeah, and the lights come in. And it's kind of like, this, I kind of <laughs> see God's like, moment. God is like coming to the ring. Like, okay, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. you mess with my boy. Now I got his back. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And so much of this parallels other places in the Bible where it talks about the day of the Lord, mm-hmm. right? And usually the day of the Lord is described as a day of, of darkness or a day of where the earth is shaking mm-hmm. of fire. And often the day of the Lord is described as God making things right, fighting for those who have been treated unfairly. Mm-hmm. Those people that God does have their back because mm-hmm. he loves them and cares for them and they haven't been treated well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all want that. And doesn't that just change how we get up in the morning? I mean, we face stuff all day mm-hmm. long. We just do. And, you know, David is illustrating a confidence of in the most desperate moments he has, he cries out and his God shows up, yeah. you know. And again, going back to those first verses, it's not just God, it's my God. Yeah. It's not just a fortress, it's my fortress. The one he loves. Yeah. yeah. And I want us to think about how we started these conversations. We started with the superscription mm. where we are told about the events of God rescuing David from Saul and his enemies, all his enemies. Yeah. And then we saw how this is almost word for word in many places, a Psalm that we find in second Samuel 22 at the end of David's life, which puts us in a position where we have David as an older man reflecting on an event from his younger years and describing it the way he sees it now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who's older, (laughs) It's impossible when you're older to look back on younger events and see them the way you saw them then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there's a difference of perspective. Now, let me suggest that as David connects the dots of his story with Israel's story, that he looks back at how God rescued him and says, you know what that's like? That's like when God showed up at Sinai for Israel. Hmm. All of Israel's storytelling ultimately finds its roots in the Exodus. Mm-hmm. It really does. Mm-hmm. And I think what David's doing here is he's not necessarily saying, this is what God did for me. No, what he's saying is the God who did that is the God who came to my rescue. And so he sees the same elements of rescue because he sees the same God of rescue. And as he's connecting all the dots together, that's the picture. And that's the mm-hmm. way the Bible tells the story of all of our rescue, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's dot to dot to dot, you yeah. know, need to deliverance to need to deliverance. And, and you know, mm-hmm. it, it, I don't know, the more I read the Bible, don't y'all, and the older I get, don't you see more dots and more lines that connect them into this one overarching story mm-hmm. of deliverance? Yep. And I would also say the more I look at my life and how it interacts with the scriptures or even with God's deliverance. When I put the dots together, I see him delivering, but I also need him to continue to deliver, not only from what I'm facing now, 
but even from the things in the past that caused trauma or pain in ways that even to this day, mm. I'm not healed from or passed from. Yeah. I need a God who is powerful enough to rock the world and uh, <laughs> to come with power mm. and might. And it's great that David could look back as an old man and say, you know what, in that moment, I might have been feeling 37 different things about what was going on, but only one thing matters, and that's the God of Sinai showed up and rescued me from all my enemies. And that's my God every day. For long and long, one of the ways that America as a national kind of thing has been described as self-sufficient, able to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, which, by the way, is a weird word picture, if you think about it. <laughs> what are some ways in which nationally we practice this self-sufficiency, even in ways we may not even think about? It just kind of becomes part of our DNA. Well, I think about just the pressure that I feel like I still live under as a person in America to always make things happen myself mm -hmm. because we live under that pressure mm -hmm. of like, make it happen and achieve and do your thing. And that's, it wears me out. One thing I think about, and I didn't see how different it was until I went overseas, how weird it is that we celebrate being workaholics yeah. so much. Like yeah. in Europe, in Asia and Africa, it's like when it's vacation time, that's something yeah. that everybody protects. They take that mm -hmm. week, two weeks, whatever, all, two weeks usually. Yep. We take the least amount of vacation, mm -hmm. and then we usually work on a vacation yeah. Yeah. Um, and are proud of it. But by yourself, you know, and I yeah. think that's what you were hinting at, Daniel, there's this individualism. Mm -hmm. You know, it's me, and mm -hmm. it's all up to me. Yeah. And if I ask for help... I'm weak. And, mm -hmm. you know, I probably never saw this so strongly as in the days when I was leading this mothering organization, Mops International, because moms also had bought into that. I have to do it all, all by myself and all right now. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly stressful. Yeah. In referring to someone who at that time was very well known in Great Britain and who was known as self-sufficient and a little arrogant about it, not unlike what we've been discussing. Winston Churchill described that individual by saying, there but for the grace of God goes God. They were so self-sufficient, mm. they didn't even need God. Wow. You know? mm -hmm. Charlie Chaplin, a name very familiar in the entertainment world, made the comment, me, me alone, and that's enough. Oof. And then there's uh, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Yeah. <laughs> All of these examples of self-sufficiency, to your point, Daniel, sound a little bit noble and heroic mm -hmm. until you shine the light of Scripture on it. And suddenly they don't look quite so good, do they? Mm. And until you try to do it long enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're in this uh, consideration together of one of David's psalms, Psalm 18, and it's a psalm we've talked about where as an older man, he is reflecting on an event that happened when he was a younger man. And one of the earliest things that we talked about was that when he faced deep distress, he didn't try and fix it himself. What did he do? Oh, he cried out to God for help. <laughs> yeah. In my distress... Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, in my distress, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. No, that's not exactly what he says. In fact, we talked about when he does try to pull himself up by his own bootstraps, that's when he makes his biggest yeah. mistakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
what we want to do is we want to look at where David captures this idea, not of self-sufficiency, but of utter dependency. And as we've said a couple of times, this is such a long psalm that we can't cover every verse in it. So I want us to move all the way forward to verses 31 through 36. Now, in our last conversation, David described God's intervention on his behalf, and he used kind of the language of Sinai to do it, which was fascinating to think Mm -hmm. about. But now he moves away from the language of rescue to the language of God himself. He's not just describing how God acted on his behalf. He's describing who God is. And so just go around the table a couple of verses each and read verses 31 through 36. As he doesn't just focus on God's actions, he focuses on who God is. His character. Yeah. Yeah, I'll kick it off. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me upon high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand has supported me. Your help has made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me and my feet do not slip. Okay. Now... That may sound like an odd place to talk about dependency versus (laughs) self-sufficiency, but I think there are a couple of things here that are really important. When I took hermeneutics, science and art of interpreting the Bible, one of the top-level keys was focus on nouns and verbs. Nouns do and have done to, verbs are the action. So much of the meaning is carried by nouns and verbs, and that's true. However... (laughs) Sometimes the important stuff is in the pronouns. And I want you to notice the pronouns that he uses as he talks about the God who came to his rescue. Because as he talks about it, everything he is saying is about stuff God did. Mm-hmm. It's not stuff that he did. Where do you see that, Elisa? Yeah. Who is a rock except God? Who is God but the Lord? God girds him. God makes his way blameless. God makes his feet like Heinz's feet. God sets him upon the on and on. God does all of this. There's this moment in which, as David looks back, and we see it in another psalm where he reflects on the moment where he made himself pretend like he was crazy to get away from the king of the Philistines. And then in the psalm, when he reflects on it, it's kind of like, nah, that wasn't (laughs) really me. I didn't really pull that off. It was God all the time. And we have a similar kind of moment here where he's reflecting, and everything that happened that provided rescue for him came from the hand of God himself. Well, he even kind of escalates it because in verse 31 to 34 that I kind of referenced, he's using the pronoun he, and then... In verse 35 and 36, he changes it to you, and he's directly saying, you did this, God, you did this, God, you did this, God. I'm so glad you caught that. Oh, good. That's pivotal, because what's happening for David as this older man reflecting on an event from his younger years is his time of reflection goes from reflection to worship. Mm. It goes from gratitude to praise. And those things need to live together. And we see it live together here when he makes the transition from he to you. It's almost as if in the he part, he's bearing witness to the people 
but he gets to the point where he just has to talk to God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, at the church I first came to know the Lord, they referred to that as he had a case of the can't help it. <laughs> you know, he started declaring <laughs> things, you know, and talking about God. And then it just got so good to him. He just started to worship. I love that. <laughs> he just couldn't I help love it. That. That's great. Um, that is they awesome. can't help yeah. it. I love it. And I think that it does reveal the regular rhythm what happens mm -hmm. when we attribute glory to god for what it is and the thing that was particularly fascinating to me is in verse 34 where it says he trains my hands for battle when i think about training oftentimes we take credit for that aspect sure. i did the work yeah, yeah, yeah. i oh. was the one who mm -hmm. practiced and prepared mm -hmm. and yet still in the midst of preparation he's giving acknowledgement to god so it makes me wonder when I think back to those quotes that you mentioned about Churchill and all these folks, when they are pointing to themselves, are they just misinterpreting reality yeah. and misrepresenting reality? Yeah. And that doesn't lend itself hmm. to that sense of worship, mm. you know, because they're misattributing, mm. you know, where the source of that strength came from. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate that, Rasul. And I think what's jumping out to me is all of God's actions that we see throughout the whole Psalm. And I'm just going to like run through some of these. So verse six, he heard nine, he bowed 10, he rode 11, he made 13. The Lord thundered 14. He sent 14. He flashed 16. He reached 17. He delivered 19. He brought, he delivered the Lord rewarded the Lord recompense. Wow. He showed, he delivered. He's a shield. He made, he trains, he's given, he gave. Mm. So it's just like, the more, again, they can't help it, he gets going with the list. It's like, how many more things can I think of? That, <laughs> He's looking for his God. thesaurus there. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, he does a similar thing in the most familiar of Psalms, Psalm 23. He's talking to the audience, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. He does this. He does this. But when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Mm -hmm. um, Turns to worship. All of a sudden, there's this moment where he pivots in the direction of his comments away from the audience and to the Lord. And what surprises me about all of this, and I want you to grab this, Elisa, would you read again verse 35? Sure. You have also given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand upholds me, and your gentleness makes me great. Did you hear that last phrase? Yeah, gentleness. Your gentleness. Is that surprising? Mm. Yeah, to hear... A, a hardened uh, soldier reflecting on all the battles mm. he's won. David has killed his tens of thousands. Yeah. Saul has killed his thousands. Mm. Yeah. And he, the attribute that he connects mm. with is God's gentleness. Yeah. yeah. And I hear in that, like the main way God is described in the Old Testament, he's a Lord slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, abounding yeah. in compassion. And then in the New Testament, it picks it up with, it's God's kindness mm -hmm. that leads us to repentance. Yep. So it's like this theme, this heart of this God is a God who is gentle and that leads to salvation, yeah. who's loving and that leads to rescue. But it's so confusing to us because we can't really align that with him being like a fire with nostrils and <laughs> you know, crazy shaking the earth and all that stuff. And yet that's the heart of yeah. his character. And that's how we have to look mm -hmm. at some of the things, even in scripture that we don't understand. Behind all of this, somewhere is a heart of gentleness, whether I can see it or not. Mm -hmm. And to be willing to accept the mystery of that and to yeah. trust that 
my God is gentle. And what I love about verse 35 is he mixes the images of strength and gentleness. Your right hand upholds me, that's mm -hmm. strength. Mm -hmm. Your gentleness makes me great. We need both. Mm -hmm. We need a God of strength and a God of gentleness. And David says again, that's my God. We're studying Psalm 18 with the Discover the Word group. And uh, in just a moment, Bill and Elisa and Daniel and Rasul will conclude their look at this Song of Mature Reflection. Hope you're seeing how this psalm can help you see the events in your life through the kind of lens the psalmist David was looking through. They'll wrap this up after this preview of where the group goes in our next podcast. Do you like to fish? Discover the word group member, Elisa Morgan. And I plunked my little hook with its fly in the water, and out came this beautiful rainbow oh, trout. Hmm. And I was hooked. <laughs> group member, Marty Hahn. I can be in a lake for five hours and feel like I've been on vacation. Really? You know, it just clears my head. It just... oh, wow. Group member, Bill Crowder. I do have one fishing story, and it may contribute to why I don't like to fish, uh -oh. but it kind of left a bad fishing taste in my oh. mouth. <laughs> and so on the next Discover the Word podcast is a series of conversations called Fishing Tips. Only it's not that kind of fishing. It's a fish story in which Jesus talks about fishing for people. Explore that image of fishing with the group in a study called Fishing Tips on the next Discover the Word podcast. And now the conclusion of our study of Psalm 18 a song of mature reflection. We've been looking at this really interesting Psalm 18, this Psalm of David. And I mean, there's been a lot of twists and turns in these conversations. David as an older man is reflecting on what God did for him as a young man mm -hmm. and seeing it through a different set of eyes. Hmm. And how have we seen that together through our conversations. Well, the superscription starts off saying this is a song of David where he is talking about God's deliverance of him from the hand of all of his enemies and from Saul. Yeah. And so it's very specific and yet it's a mm -hmm. huge scope as yeah. well. And yeah. aren't we like that? You know, I'll look back at one very significant moment in my life, like when we adopted our kids or when I got married or, or when God brought us through an illness. It flavors all mm -hmm. of the ways in which God's been present in my yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen how getting a certain job and then looking back and like, how did I get to that job? And then you look at all the different experiences that God led us through, some good, some not so good, yeah. that prepared us for whatever that opportunity was. And I could have never planned that on my own. And so we get that same feel here of mm. David looking back mm. and connecting dots as you led us through in one of the conversations about connecting the dots of God's rescue and seeing what the picture is. Mm -hmm. You know, I noticed how we looked at his description of going through hard times, being encompassed by mm. death and surrounded mm. and crying out to God in his desperation and God hearing him and delivered him. So there's this aspect where one of the greatest assets that David have is perspective. That's, mm. You know, he can look back in his mm -hmm. older age. When someone's been through it before, yeah. you know, 
early parenthood and you can go to your grandparents and say, what do I do? Yeah. They won't go to bed or they won't, you know, and they're like, well, you know what? You used to do this. That and this never is happened with our kids. <laughs> <laughs> and just the perspective of having someone that you can go to, a parent who, you know, mm-hmm. can help you parent mm-hmm. is something. And David is able to enter us into his experience and show us, oh, I've been through some things and yeah. I've seen God work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as David has been reflecting, he's been reflecting Yes, on the distress. In my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Mm -hmm. But thinking about the distress didn't leave him in what a terrible moment that was. It led him into a celebration of how great his God is. And where we're going to go in this final conversation is verses 46 through 50. And for some of us who have come through now a couple of generations of praise choruses, some of these words are going to sound very familiar because they are the root lyrics for a praise course that came about 25 or 30 years ago. But again, 46 through 50 of Psalm 18, we're going to parachute in there. Elise, if you'll just start off and read a couple and then y'all just go around. Sure, sure. Okay, so Psalm 18, verse 46. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me and subdues people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. Surely you lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. Great triumphs he gives to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Okay, I'm listening for the song, Bill. You're going to have to sing it a little bit. There's a reason we don't sing on this program. Um, The Lord liveth and blessed be the rock and may the God of my salvation be exalted. That's part of it. And then the last part, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to you among the people for your steadfast love is great and great among the nations. There's echoes of Psalm 18 in a couple of praise courses. But in our previous conversation, we saw him go, he, 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 you. Here he goes, you, you, you. And then in verse 50, he shifts to he. Oh. And now he's bearing witness again. Huh. It's interesting as David bounces back and forth between first person and second person and third person. So as you hear what he's saying in here, what if anything stands out to you mm-hmm. that David is celebrating. The rock is a big deal because he yeah. comes back to it. That's where he started <laughs> at the beginning. That's, That's one good. of his favorite yep. metaphors for God. Mm-hmm. The Lord is my rock. And we need to think about that in terms of ancient Jewish culture. Mm-hmm. Why would that be such a big deal? And, you know, he's planted my feet upon a rock, you know, solid ground, stability, mm-hmm. all that. You build your house, Jesus said, upon the rock. There's a foundational element. God is my rock, Mm -hmm. right? Mm. What could be some other applications of that idea? The rock I'm thinking about uh, picking up stones and putting him in the the river after crossing over and celebrating his faithfulness Mm. and remembering it Mm. because we stand on his faithfulness. We talked about that with our perspective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think about even the mountains, your love, you know, endures, your faithfulness like the Mm -hmm. mountains and Mm -hmm. a mountain's big rock. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And there, there's this element where in a unstable world in which there's a lot of natural disasters, there's a lot of unexplained phenomena, this sense, 
It's just like when you are traveling, you see a mountain, your whole point of direction, your whole orientation mm-hmm. goes toward why. Because I know where that is. I know where north is. Yeah. I know where south mm-hmm. is. I know where I am mm-hmm. because I have a point of reference. And he's pointing to God as this rock mm-hmm. that he can ultimately go to for shelter, go to for direction. And that's a sense of comfort. Yeah. And I'm also thinking that David picked up a stone to kill Goliath. A rock. (laughs) So God was actually in the sling, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I also see the repetition here of the idea of exalted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he first exalts God or brings attention to the fact that God is lifted up or higher Mm -hmm. or has that perspective. Mm -hmm. And then as a result, in verse 48, it's God who lifts him up. Yeah. And so it's oh. by looking toward God as the one who is lifted up. He is then lifted up. Mm-hmm. And if he is older writing this, mm-hmm. then part of that would be even just the perspective that he now has looking yeah. back over his life. Yeah, it's the perspective that Peter wrote about in the New Testament. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. If we worry about exalting ourselves, right, then we've got our emphasis in the wrong place. If we worry about exalting him, he'll take mm-hmm. care of putting us where we need to be. Yeah, right? And I think especially looking at two different lines, verse 48, he delivers me from mm-hmm. my enemies. Verse 50, he gives great deliverance to his king. Mm-hmm. This is a time, you know, when you're older, thinking about legacy, thinking about how people perceive you in that moment in time, he's making it clear that even as a decorated war vet Mm -hmm. and as someone who people looked at as slaying Goliath and Mm -hmm. leading Mm -hmm. troops in the victory, Mm -hmm. don't get it twisted. Mm -hmm. I know where my help came from. It came from God. I didn't do this by myself. Yeah. With all of these things kind of swimming around in his heart, because this is a very active Psalm. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot going on. There are a lot of moving parts, but in it all, he takes a step forward in a way that was unusual for Israel, because we know through Abraham, God said, through you, I'm going to bless the nations, right? And Israel departed from that. Mm-hmm. They didn't stay on that path. In fact, they isolated themselves from the nations. Instead of being a light to the nations, they isolated themselves from the nations. So with that in mind, Daniel, read verse 49 again. For this, I will extol you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. He doesn't want this song to just be for Israel. Mm -hmm. He wants this song Mm -hmm. to be for everybody. He wants everybody. He wants the nations to know this is what our God is like. It's very similar to in Deuteronomy 32, where Moses is talking about the surrounding pagan nations that are going to surround them when they move into the land. And he makes the statement, their rock is not our rock. We need to tell them about our rock. Mm -hmm. We need to praise him before the nations so that they too can know this great God. Wow. Yeah. And I think about that last line and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. I mean, yes, God had made this promise to David, but to see him still in his older years, holding to that promise Mm -hmm. and connecting it to the anointed, which of course Messiah means anointed, it makes you just think he's not just even thinking about the local temporal kingdom but ultimately what God is going to do and how God is going to bless the nations through his descendant, Mm -hmm. the Messiah. Yeah, so in the end, he not only looks back to when he was a young man and sees it through the perspective of the present as an old man, he looks forward Mm -hmm. to a time when the anointed Mm -hmm. is going to come. And truly, the all nations that David wants to hear this song will be drawn together before the throne of God with people from every Mm -hmm. tribe and tongue and nation. It's a great climax 
Mm -hmm. for a pretty good psalm (laughs) about a great God. Yeah, a great psalm, Psalm 18, a song of mature reflection. Your study partners on this episode were Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. Well, here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries, it is our mission to spread the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible to people all around the world. We've been telling the story of Jesus for over 80 years now. And at this point, we're so glad that you have a chance to sit down and be part of our conversations. And uh, we'd also like to see even more people have access to our devotional and audio and video and internet resources. By giving a one-time gift or becoming a monthly Discover the Word partner, you can help us continue our efforts in fulfilling this worthwhile mission. Just go to discovertheword.org, click the Donate tab, and explore what some of your options are. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.